0: Welcome to What Magnificence with Chase Thornock, where we help high-achieving executives and entrepreneurs find answers to their most vexing health problems through the power of what if. Now, here's your host, Chase. Hey guys, what's good and what if? Welcome to What Magnificence. Today we've got a great show for you. Uh, Last week we talked a bit about marijuana, uh, cannabis, and my personal experience with it. And this week we want to talk about the medical applications of cannabis and some of the research around um, how cannabis works for you. Uh, Before we get to that, I feel like I should tell you (laughs) maybe a little bit of a life lesson for me. Uh, this week, we took our, our boys out camping, and we're in an area that's prone uh, for ticks. At least that's what the signage says. And so when we brought them in tonight, you know, we told them, hey, <clears throat> we should check everybody for ticks just to make sure that that nobody has has a tick so we're checking our boys and they're just curious creatures wonderful curious creatures so they're asking all sorts of questions about ticks and me being me i wanted to teach them all about ticks and um sure enough pictures you know i'm looking at pictures of ticks and how they have the the barbed pieces of their mouth parts that stay inside of you and you can probably see where this is going, but a, a long story short, um, pretty sure I gave them all nightmares. My youngest son would not go to bed, um, just absolutely panicked that he was covered in ticks. So uh, l- let that be a lesson to all of us. And quite honestly, my wife warned me. Um, I'm right in the middle of showing them pictures on my phone of ticks. And from the other room, she says, what did she say? She, oh, she said, it's almost bedtime. And I was like, well, I don't know what that means. So I kept like teaching about ticks and, and then I hear it again from the other room. It's almost bedtime. And I was like, uh, tell me exactly what you mean by that. You know, and she said, well, just be careful what you're talking about before bedtime. Um, it turns out the mind's a powerful thing. Uh, we've learned this. I've learned this on my health journey. But, you know, this is a little bit more of a hmm, comical case. But... They eventually fell asleep uh, after a few tears, but just be careful what you teach your children before they go to sleep. Uh, So what if, what if there are compounds in cannabis that act on receptors you have all throughout your body? And what if you have those receptors in your body because mother's breast milk contains the same type of compounds? And what if, what if those receptors and those compounds could help you heal your body? So the endocannabinoid system is, in terms of our knowledge of the human body, is relatively new to us. Much, much like the enteric nervous system, it's a much more recent discovery. And it wasn't until the late 80s or early 90s that we discovered we had this receptor system for endocannabinoids, which are the active ingredients in cannabis. And once again, the reason we have that system is because in mother's breast milk, um, there are these compounds that interact with these receptors on basically every tissue uh, in the human body. Um, without, without the endocannabinoids in mother's breast milk, um, it, the baby has difficulty learning how to suck and how to eat. It serves a, f- a, a, a key function there of of helping to stimulate that part of the brain. And it's one of the reasons we postulate that adults, when they use cannabis or marijuana, that becomes one of their side effects is that they want to eat or primary effects like it was for me, that was important for me in using cannabis was to increase my appetite to begin to eat again. Um, But these, these receptors also serve other functions. Um, One of which is that they help to protect cells from viruses. They help to protect cells from bacteria. They help to protect cells from cancer and other malignancies. Um, And that's just incredible to me, right? So it, it, it provides this protective function for a baby um, as they're developing. Um, some other functions of those receptors. So they're responsible for a type of cell death called cell apoptosis. And essentially every cell in your body has a, I shouldn't say every because I'm not quite sure about that, but most cells in your body have a, a timer basically. That when they approach the end of their life, they go through the cell death process called cell apoptosis, and they self destruct. And um, certain types of cancers end up being a malfunction in this process. So, uh, cell apoptosis is important when a cell starts to go malignant, starts to become a cancerous cell. It triggers this response in a cell, and the cell destroys itself before it can come. Become dangerous to the body. So you actually develop cancer multiple, multiple times, but most of those cells end up destroying themselves before they become a problem. Um, Some other functions of those receptors is that they help um, to control the inflammation and immune system. Does that sound familiar? It sounds a lot like the role of your enteric nervous system, doesn't it? So they've learned in studies that mice lacking a certain cannabinoid receptor have a higher inflammatory baseline and this particular receptor receptor is called cb2 for cannabinoid receptor 2 and we have two main types of those receptors cannabinoid receptor 2 and conveniently cannabinoid receptor 1. and cannabinoid receptor 2 are the receptors again that exist in most tissues in your body Cannabinoid receptor one is um, exists in your brain tissue, and it's what's responsible for the high that people experience when they um, use cannabis, or more specifically THC. Uh, so marijuana and hemp, or cannabis and hemp, are um, the same plant basically. But the, the cannabis plant, the marijuana plant, is the female plant and hemp is the male version of the plant. And then in that in those categories you have two main types of marijuana of cannabis. The and they're they're honestly they're Sanskrit words that are thousands of years old. And the first category are called sativa and the second category are called indica. And I think this is important for people to understand because when I went through my journey with cannabis, it just felt like the wild, wild west. I didn't, I had no idea where to start. I didn't even know about these two main types of cannabis. Um, But sativa is Sanskrit for day and indica is Sanskrit for night. And typically the indica strains have higher amounts of THC and a more of a sedative effect, which is why the Sanskrit word for night, right? It makes you drowsy and sleepy. The sativa strains tend to be more energizing, uh, hence the word day for, for that branch. And then you have hybrids, which are a cross between the two. In my experience, most of these cannabis strains that you come across are a hybrid type of strain. And when you go into a dispensary, um, you're confronted with a lot of interesting names, uh, for like purple haze and gorilla glue. And I don't even know all the names, right? There's thousands of different strains of marijuana. Um, but again, each of them belongs to one of those major branches, or they are a hybrid of the two branches. Um, The two main compounds in marijuana that get most of the attention are called uh, CBD and THC. And recently, uh, CBD especially has had this awakening. I feel like you go to, uh, even you go to a gas station in some places and they have CBD because it's non-psychoactive and it's legal, I think, in most states. Um, and then you have THC and THC is just another one of the compounds in marijuana, but it, it binds to the CB1 receptor in your brain and can have psychoactive effects. It's responsible for the high, but the fascinating thing is that of those two compounds, there's, that's only two of them. And in cannabis, there's over 400 active compounds in the plant. CBD and THC are only two of them. It's kind of mind-numbing to consider that, right? We, we spend so much time focusing on these two, but there's actually 400 other active compounds in the plant. Uh, the methods for administration um, of cannabis can vary a lot. Uh, I think most people think of smoking it, at least in popular culture. That's the, that's the way that's portrayed. Um, but there are also different ways of taking it, like vaping it. And I'll explain the difference between the two of those here in a minute. It, and it's an important distinction, I think. Uh, you can also eat it. Um, you can take it rectally. And again, we'll talk about that a little bit more and the advantages of that. Or you can rub it on your skin. Once again, your body is covered with these receptors. Um, and so there's a lot of different ways for you to administer it. Now, the difference between smoking it and vaping it, I think's important to understand when, when someone smokes marijuana, which is something, um, that is potentially very dangerous. It heats the compounds up so hot in the cannabis that it can create carcinogenic compounds. Um, and, Obviously, carcinogenic compounds can lead to cell mutation and can lead to cancers um, in addition to some other problems. So smoking is definitely not something that that uh, that would be recommended. Vaping it um, is different because it it brings it up to a lower temperature, enough to aerosolize the compounds, but not enough to to turn them into, carcinogenic compounds. And there's an important distinction there too. Um, if people are using inexpensive devices to vape the cannabis, um, sometimes those devices get almost just as hot as smoking it. And so it's important to know that you can get variable devices and and for people who are using it medicinally, Um, These variable temperature devices you can use to slowly increase the temperature. And each of these cannabinoids vaporize at a different temperature. And so as someone does that and slowly brings up the temperature, then they can aerosolize different parts of the plant slowly without risking overheating the entire thing. Um, Another thing to keep in mind about cannabis is that it is a fat soluble compound meaning if you ingest the cannabis orally if you eat the cannabis um, you want to you want to include some fat so that your body can absorb the compounds that are available to you now let's rewind just a second and go back to those 400 active compounds Um, There are plenty of products out there that isolate the CBD and the THC and primarily deliver those. I think it's important to understand a concept called the entourage effect. And that basically stands for the idea that all of those 400 compounds can act together in ways that are difficult to study because there's 400 active compounds, um, over 400. Um, but also they modulate each other. We know, for example, that CBD and THC compete for the same receptors in the brain. And if a receptor gets taken up with CBD instead of THC, then the psychoactive effect will be less. For example, if someone takes 10 milligrams, let's say, of THC and only THC, then it's going to be a much different experience than if they take 10 milligrams of THC with THC. 10 milligrams of cbd and that's just to illustrate that these compounds interact with one another they modulate they compete for the same receptors um, and there's arguments to be made that it's best taken with all of the compounds that are available in the plant and this is known as the entourage effect and it was the method by which i began to take marijuana And for me, um, I wasn't very interested in smoking it or even vaping it. Um, I, if you remember from the last episode, the physician who I talked to said, you have Crohn's internally, I would take it internally. Um, What I'm taking that to mean is that he said, you know, he was inferring that I should eat it. Obviously, bringing it into your lungs is taking it internally as well. But um, this is what over time I have kind of understood he was meaning now there's some interesting effects that happen uh, that's different so when you ingest it via uh, a vape or or smoking it those compounds become immediately available to your lungs, which then becomes really quickly available to your bloodstream. And so this can be very useful for someone who has major digestive issues, uh, because as I learned through my experience with the variability of my peristalsis and also my digestive system in general, there were times where the marijuana would hit me really quickly and times where it took forever to hit me. And it was really unpredictable what was going to happen with the medicine. Um, and that was pretty frustrating because there were, you know, like jobs I had to do, or um, I'd want to drive somewhere much later on but the medicine may have taken 12 hours to hit um, and so that became a bit frustrating so uh, taking it into your lungs obviously bypasses that that process of digestion when you take it in orally it goes through a different process your body takes it in digests it and again uh, depending on how much fat is available to help you absol- absorb the compounds, um, they then get processed by your liver, and specifically the, the THC gets processed by your liver. And what it creates is a compound that's much more that's mm, much more intense um, and long lasting. So people who are dealing with chronic pain, this can be a really effective way to get. Therapeutic levels of the medication for a long duration of time. And it can last anywhere from three to eight hours or longer um, when taken orally, uh, as opposed to taking it into your lungs. It's a much, much shorter duration. And so for people who are experimenting with taking it orally, it's recommended that you. If you dose it, you wait, especially at first. You start small with all of these things, and then you wait a long time just to make sure um, that it's not a delayed response before you take any more of the medication. As far as the entourage effect goes, there's, there's obviously the cannabinoids that impact the endocannabinoid system, but there are also things called terpenes and other compounds in there that, that affect other receptors. Now let's talk about uh, rectal administration of marijuana. Obviously this is another way that you can take cannabis internally, uh, but this is a bit different than bringing it into your lungs or ingesting it orally. In that, um, in that part of your body you have three main vein drains and the lower drains, those closer to the anus, um, actually bypass the liver. and that gets interesting because, when it's administered this way, um, you can avoid much of the psychoactive effects of the THC. And uh, the way that this is created, and and I should have mentioned this earlier, I think I mentioned this last week, but I I took, orally, I took what's called Rick Simpson oil or full plant extract oil, which is this really thick honey-like substance, and I'd put it in these capsules and I'd swallow it, well, that can be taken and um, melted down together with cocoa butter, and put in like a cone-shaped mold and frozen to be then administ- administered uh, as a suppository. And um, again, it's it bypasses the liver, so you have less of a less to no psychoactive effect, and you also. it's much more tolerable for people. In other words, they can experience higher doses of the medication or bigger shifts in the dosage of the medication um, and not have the negative effects associated if they would have taken it via their lungs or via eating it. And that's helpful because it's so non-specifically dosed. I mean, you get maybe a syringe, um, of, of medication, but each medication is going to be different. Each batch is going to be different. The amount of THC or CBD is going to be different. And so that's another way of administering the medication. And, um, it was really helpful to me again, just with this, with this administration and all the administrations, make sure that you talk with your doctor and come up with a plan that's right for you. But this was a method that I wish I would have been aware of, earlier at the outset because it was effective and useful and it helped me to avoid some of the negative side effects that I wasn't interested in. Now, receptors that you have in your body are an interesting, they're an interesting idea. And honestly, as recently as 1964, we didn't really know very much about receptors. So um, I love this little this little idea here. Um, The Dutch uh, pharmacologist, and I'm going to say his name wrong, I know, but it's D.K. De Jong, is how I'm going to say it. In 1964, it said, uh, To most of modern pharmacologists, the receptor is like the beautiful but remote lady. He has written her many a letter, and quite often she's answered the letters. From these answers, the pharmacologist has built himself an image of this fair lady. He cannot, however, truly claim ever to have seen her, although one day he may do so. Uh, And then (laughs) to continue on to this, to continue on with this thought, and this is the quote from the Dutch pharmacologist, where he says, how could God know what chemicals man would develop in a laboratory so that, so that these compounds that we're making could affect the human body. How is that even possible, right? But essentially, you have these receptors in your body because of what we interact with in the environment. And I think that's useful to understand because, at least in my mind, I looked at things like food and medications, pharmaceutical medications, as two completely separate things, right? I didn't understand the mechanisms between them. Um, But as I've learned over time, they both act on the same receptors. Food does, cannabis does, pharmaceuticals do. And this gave birth to the modern medical approach, the discovery of this receptor system, and that we could create synthetic chemicals to interact with these receptors. Well, the only reason we could do that is because there are natural chemicals that act on these receptors as well. And modulate them much like a pharmaceutical can um so there's there's some more fascinating things i want to talk to you about cannabis but before i get to that i want to uh give a shout out to my what if warrior of the week and this came from sally d and she said this show is so fantastic i've told a lot of people about it and i've been really enjoying what i've been learning I thought of everyone in my life who could benefit from this. And in some ways, I'm not sure how to share it. And I'm not sure how to say they need it. That's a thank you, Sally. I appreciate that a lot. I'm glad that you're listening and enjoying this. Um, And that's a really good question. I think I have a lot of listeners out there who are like, you know, you can think of someone immediately who, man, they need this. They're sick. They need some help. They're having trouble finding answers elsewhere. Um, how can I help to let them know that maybe they should listen to something like this? And that's a tricky situation to be in. And so I wanted to give you a couple suggestions to consider. The first is that if you know someone who needs this, then I'd recommend that you do these things with them. Show them how to do it. Be a friend with them. We've, we've learned that connection is so important. So important for healing, so important for um, living. It's just a, it's just human connection is human, and so and so connect with them. Um, and a great place to start is with breath and cold. If you yourself haven't done these things, invite them to do it with you. And it's a wonderful experience. Well, okay, the cold's... <laughs> I, should, I should couch that. The cold is a difficult experience, obviously. It's intended to be so. But the bonding experience that happens in those moments is really, really incredible. Uh, go hop in a lake, um, in a river, you know, even if it's just for a second, do it with them. Show them how they can do it and, and, and how they can be empowered. Um, the other thought that I'd like you to consider is, what if the person that someone is thinking about as they listen to this show is you? Could it be you? It was definitely me. Uh, There was a lot of times where I would hear things or see things and think of someone else first when I was really quite sick. And I just didn't realize it. I love this idea of realizing and we talk about awareness and and recognizing but I like to use the word instead of recognizing recognizing rewiring the cognition of your brain to be aware right so take a look in the mirror do you have an autoimmune disease that at this point is just a minor annoyance right and it could be a lot of different things It could be a lot of different things, but it's not bad enough yet, right? Someone else has it way worse than I have it. Well, the truth is everyone can use these things. Everyone can use these things. And isn't it a fascinating thought to think someone may be listening to the show thinking of you as needing it. So get out there, all of you, get out there, do some breath, do some cold, break your brain a little bit so that you can start asking what if?" And start making major changes for your health, for your mental health, for your physical health, um, and just start asking, "What if?" So let's talk a little further about marijuana and the history of marijuana. So marijuana is a Schedule One drug on the federal list of drugs, and Schedule One is the worst of the worst. Um, it is a Defined as a substance or chemical with no currently accepted medical use and a high potential for abuse. Included on this list is heroin as a Schedule 1 drug. I think ecstasy is a Schedule 2 drug and so on and so forth. You have different types of schedules. So here's a fascinating fact for you. The U.S. government actually holds a patent on marijuana. And not just that... Uh, a patent has to have application, right? So it is a, it's a patent on the uses of marijuana and you can look this up and I encourage you to do so. Cause I just think it's fascinating, but go, go and uh, look it up online, but it's patent number. Let me count my desk, my numbers here. Okay. So it's patent 6,630,507. So patent, U.S. patent, 6,630,507. And uh, this patent was filed in October of 2003. So not that long ago. And it is awarded to the USA as represented by the Department of Health and Human Services. And specifically, the uses for marijuana are, and I quote, inflammatory, autoimmune, stroke, Trauma, neurogen- neurodegenerative diseases, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's disease. Wow. And again, autoimmune. Like, how big is that category? We talk about multiple sclerosis. We talk about scleroderma. We talk about lupus. We talk about fibromyalgia, diabetes, Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, cancer. So many types of diseases are autoimmune diseases as a matter of fact i heard recently that the phrase of unknown entomology is one of the most common phrases in medical textbooks and basically what it means is we don't know where it comes from in other words autoimmune diseases there are so many autoimmune diseases and the u.s government holds a patent on the uses of cannabis for autoimmune diseases fascinating fascinating so my challenge for you this week is to... Sally, that was so good. Thank you again for sending that question and that thought in. But my challenge and my what if for you is, what if you are the person who someone else is thinking of needs this as they listen to this podcast? What if you could invite a friend to connect this week? What if you could do some simple breathing some simple cold together and feel better, right? And help each other feel better and connect with one another. Take a look in, in the mirror and see your bodies and feel your brains and and uh, and just just ask yourself, could this be you? Could you feel better? So thank you so much. I'm glad that you joined me this week and I'm so excited to talk with you next week.